0: The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they managed to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Today, we're going to be discussing Tiger Woods. So Eldrick Taunt Tiger Woods, Full name. Mm. I didn't even know the middle one. I knew it was Eldrick. He is an American professional golfer, tied for first in PGA Tour wins, at least at the time, uh, you know, I got this off Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um, ranks second in men men's major championships and uh, I think to Jack Nicklaus' first yeah. um, and holds numerous golf records. Tiger Woods is uh, widely regarded as one of the greatest golfers of all time and one of the most famous athletes in the world. Uh, he's also been elected to the World Golf Hall of Fame already. Mm-hmm. Uh some interesting facts. I mean, most people know this kind of stuff, but he first defeated his father at the age of 11 uh, with his father trying his best, and he never beat Tiger again after that. He first broke 70 on a regulation golf course at age 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the shame us regular golfers, golfers yeah. feel when we that's see that. never happening in my yeah. career. Yeah. Um, Woods was 15 years old and a student at uh, Western High School in Anaheim when he became the youngest U.S. Junior Amateur Champion. That was a record uh, that I can't believe it was broken. It stood until it was broken by Jim Liu in 2010. I don't know how anyone was younger than 15 that broke that record. but um, So we put uh, a link to the TGR Foundation I think that's Tiger Woods' actual foundation. It empowers students to pursue their passions through education. Uh, So we wanted to, you know, every 10th episode, we kind of do something a little bit unique. And we thought this this, Tiger might be someone very interesting to discuss. There was that two part documentary that kind of came Mm -hmm. out. um, Which channel was that on Netflix? HBO. HBO made. HBO. Yeah. Um, Two part documentary about him. Very, very fascinating. um, Really gets into, I don't think he was ever on the documentary so they you know i'm sure he probably wouldn't have approved of, of all the stuff they kind of get into um but it's very interesting and so i'll kick it to you john you know where, where do you want to start with kind of we're just going to get into our takeaways about tiger in general and how they relate to some interesting topics yeah first um was that
1: sort of just like as a the setting the stage a little bit of like golf would not be golf like today's yeah. golf would yeah. not be golf without tiger woods yeah. so in terms of like the people that he drew he sort of like made it a popular sport yeah be, you know it was always sort of a popular ish sport but not to the same capacity as cool. now he made it cool yeah. people like yeah. who were not fans of who didn't play golf maybe or whatever yeah. he drew those people and for some sure. of the some of the athletes that you some of the golfers that you see now you know maybe they would have been golfers but he really was the trendsetter and paved the way for what golf is now which is much more of a viewership and much more of like an experience, and you're just getting different clients, people who are coming to watch it. So he really was like the one who set that up.
0: I almost feel like I didn't even realize this until you started saying that, but like in terms of like athletes as brands, mm-hmm. besides Jordan, I feel like Tyre was maybe like the main one mm-hmm. who ushered in this whole like era of you know, athletes coming up and establishing themselves as brands and having deals with Nike or shoe deals or things like, and mostly it's basketball players. But he really became just like a global icon, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with regard to like, you know, the, the the Nike swoosh, obviously. Yeah. He brought that kind of, um, you know, cool sports, uh, vibe into golf that wasn't there before. Yeah. Um, then he had like the, what's the TW TW symbol. I mean, like there's just things that the red shirt um, on day three, Yep. all uh, that red shirt. Yep. 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 Red shirt. Um, and then, you know, things like Buick and even, like, Tag Hour. Like, stuff that, mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't even really care about. But those brands, like, I when I think Tiger, it does actually make me think of those brands. Uh, which is probably why they've paid him a lot of money for a long time. <laughs> so, he... <laughs> right. In terms of, like, athlete as brand, he definitely, along with Jordan, was one of the main people that really started that kind of era. Big time. Um, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And and like I said, I think he he
1: really popularized the sport, uh, too, which was, which was kind of great. I wasn't really... I remember watching him, kind of like it was. It was different, right? There's there's certain athletes that you watch either growing up or currently when you watch them. There's like a difference about them. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this with like Simone Biles when we were talking about mm-hmm. her. Um, there's just like Tom Brady. Um, there's certain athletes that you watch that you're just like there's a difference to them. Yeah, um, I will admit, LeBron. Um, yeah. My friends will be joy to hear that uh, come out of my <laughs> mouth. But there are certain athletes that you're just you're like, they're on a completely different mm-hmm. level than everybody mm-hmm. else. And Tiger, especially when he was coming out and um, fresh on the scene, was was one of those types of players. You were watching and you're like, I know I'm watching something mm-hmm. really special right now. Than mm-hmm. um, watching someone just like perfectly execute in, in that place. And so um, from a viewer standpoint, that was really cool. The documentary and um, you know, as his life is carried out, gives a real glimpse of what you see is not always what is going on. And, um, the stuff that really stood out to me, I think at one point in the documentary, even it it mentions of like, which I disagreed with about like, you know, maybe, maybe Tiger Woods wasn't mentally strong enough to like deal with fame. I think Mm -hmm. they talked about, you know, how he dealt, how he was as a golfer, but also how he was as like a famous person. Like you said, like he was this brand Tiger Woods, the brand, mm-hmm. um, and how he might not have been able to do it. And I actually kinda disagree. I think, yeah, he there are certainly some decisions he could have done differently. How many times have we talked about Tiger Woods' comeback? Right? He's had like multiple comebacks and been successful. His most recent one was uh, what was the two thousand nineteen Masters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where he came back from he's come back from um, you know, drugs and addiction and arrests and the stuff that was going on in his personal life and regarding his, his family um, and been able to, an injury from back stuff always, and been able to like continuously come back from those types of like big life events, whether it's personal or physical, mm-hmm. and be able to get back onto the, I, that just, that doesn't speak to me as someone who's not mentally like fit. I think we can maybe get into this a little bit more about like the differences of mental fitness or different categories. But in terms of him as a competitor, I I see him as one of the strongest that you can overcome multiple back surgeries, the drugs, the fame as one, and still be able to come back out. And especially now in 2019, he's not competing in it. I mean, there are way more golfers now that, that are, that are competing at a high level and he's having to go and beat those guys. Just for me, spoke to, how mentally fit he was and his ability to compete.
0: Well, I mean, you make a great point. This kind of brings up like a really interesting topic. It's a very nuanced topic. I think it's hard to like describe in either or terms. It's very complicated, but like the the topic of mental toughness comes, comes to play here because I think you can, first of all, you know, you can be mentally tough in one area of life and maybe struggle in others. I don't think it's like an either or across the board kind of thing. So (laughs) that's one thing. I mean, as a golfer or as an athlete, I don't think you get more mentally tough than him Um, in terms of, I mean, playing through pain. I mean, the dude, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. For it's sure. Falling apart. Falling yeah. apart, yeah. still able to play, still able to push through. So he's got that. He's definitely always had the ability to lock in and laser focus and mm-hmm. things like that. I think that even ties back into some of the stuff his dad used to do in terms of intentionally trying to distract him, rib him, mimic certain things so that when he got to that level, he would be able to withstand that. So mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting to, to see the... The kind of um, chain effects, chain reaction effect of like how what his dad did to train him when he was younger and how that translated. Yeah, but I don't think mental mental toughness is uh, a e- an either or kind of topic. I right. think you can have it in one area of life and not have it in the other. And I also think this applies to how you and I have talked about what what really is mental toughness because I think that it comes to what comes to mind is the whole old men's playbook versus the one we're trying the new men's playbook. Which we're trying to kind of pump up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Old men's playbook is like hold everything in, be stoic, be tough. Mm-hmm. Tiger, without a doubt, does that. And that mm-hmm. does take strength, mm-hmm. Strength, right? Um, however, what we think is a stronger way to be mentally tough is to be able to, if you're an athlete, is to be able to deflect and defer some of the emotional things, right? So you're not letting those get to you in that moment. You're mm-hmm. staying focused on the task at hand. You're staying in the zone. You're performing. You're shutting out the noise, right? Mm-hmm. But then later, you have to actually revisit the stuff that process. You, yeah, yeah, you have to be able to process that, and that doesn't have to be in therapy, but it does have to be an honest, uh, you know, uh, vulnerability that you have to be able to show where you're mm-hmm. honest with yourself and you're actually confronting some of the emotions that either would have taken place in the in the arena or on the golf course if you hadn't been able to shut those things out or whatever. And if you don't revisit those things, I think that's where people get into trouble is because they they're essentially burying it. So mm-hmm. we've talked about how. You know, a lot of times people say, like, well, real toughness is this or no real toughness is that. And then we've sort of said, like, actually, they're both tough, uh, being examples of being tough or examples of strength, I guess we would say. Mm-hmm. But one is is more smart than the other in terms of long-term well-being. That's what comes to mind for me when it comes to Tiger because I think he was always able to do the the athlete, shut out the noise kind of thing. I don't think he was always able to really reconcile who he was as a person, all the different things that were going on in his life. Who his dad was, what that meant to him, how to have healthy relationships, what fame means. I don't think he was able to really reconcile that kind of thing. Uh, And I think that's where he probably went wrong. Now, that being said, because one of the points takeaways I have was that there's kind of two tigers. There's like the real tiger and then there's the machine tiger. Mm. And that's what kind of – I think he was always in machine mode and never really was able – and this isn't his fault. I think this comes down to his dad a lot. and Maybe his mom a little bit too. She sounded like she was pretty intense he was never really allowed to be himself. And you caught glimpses in this documentary of when he actually let the wall down with people. Totally different guy. Like, Mm -hmm. just able to not be the golfer, just be himself. He was goofy. He was dancing. He was doing different, like, corny things. Like, Mm -hmm. he was just himself. And I think I would guess that not being able to feed that real side of him for a a long time or consistently negatively impacted him in a lot of ways and probably led to his, some of his struggles. Yeah. I think it talks about like the relationship with his dad
1: and I'm going to be careful not to like blame dad or blame yeah, dad yeah, things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but it, you know, a lot of the stuff that you read about hard not to draw some sort of conclusions. And you know, I, there was at one point they were talking about how tiger like expressed interest in doing other things like to yeah. your point, right. right. Non-golf sports, not yeah. a golf, non-golf sports. And his dad would not let him do that. Yeah. Right. And so, and, 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 you know, I can try to empathize with that of like, wow, you know what? We have something maybe special here with golf. I'm gonna push you to be the best golfer that you can. And so in his mind, I'm sure the justification came with I'm pushing, I'm challenging, I'm, you know, encouraging, I know what's best for you mm-hmm. right now. And I think um, you know, but in long term, like you said, it doesn't give him much opportunity to like be real tiger. Right? Yeah, he's just been in machine mode his entire life. And that's clearly problematic. Mm-hmm. Um and so that really stood out to me when I was when I heard him say that because to your point, like it was another example of him trying to like exhibit some individuality outside of a golfer mm-hmm. and not being able to do that, yeah. right? Like, no, we don't do that. This isn't what you're allowed to do. You're just a golfer. We're just doing golf, and here's and here's what we're gonna do. And and that systematic machine like approach to that clearly contributed to the way that the way that it played out from the future.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, I think one thing you're kind of hinting at is. Uh is uh, a takeaway I have, which is like, you know, we've talked a little bit about the importance of mentors. And one thing that comes into yeah. this is like the fine line between like parent as healthy mentor slash coach or parent as unhealthy, like living vicarious through. Mm. I don't know which, I mean, I think, it's hard because as a parent, you know, you want to teach your kid. I mean, I'm not a parent. You're a parent. So I can't say from direct experience. But I would imagine you want to teach your, your kids uh, hard work and different values and things like that and mm-hmm. um, starting them early with a sport and teaching them commitment and teaching them uh, yeah. work ethic and stuff like that. All really important. Um, so not necessarily a bad thing. And I, I'm not even pretending to, to know the line, where the line is with this kind right. of thing. Because I think it's <laughs> like if you're... Putting your kid in a position to be, uh, excel at something and be a great athlete and, and learn some of these valuable lessons, that's probably a great thing. And there's also like a very fine line between where you could tell with Earl, with Earl Woods that he was very much like his goal was not necessarily, it didn't seem like it was always, um, raising his son to be, um, his own person. It was raising him with a machine mission in mind from the get go. Mm-hmm. And, and, I don't know that that's necessarily him living vicarious through Tiger, but it was clearly he had a mission for his son. And so the thing that comes into play for me is like self-determination and when, where a person decides what their own mission is. And right. I think if you make up the mind for your kid before they're even able to decide for themselves, it can be problematic because mm-hmm. um, it impacts them in ways that they had no control over. But um, you also have to figure out, like, a, that's kind of what parents do to a degree anyway, right? You have to, you have to bring them up and teach yep. them certain things. You can't wait till they're old enough to make all their, all their sure. decisions. So it's, it's a very difficult kind of nuanced topic. And I think, you know, parent as mentor is, is a complicated thing. I think parent as parent versus parent as friend also comes into play mm-hmm. here. I think they're often best friends. And we, we've seen parents kind of get into trouble sometimes where it's like when they put the friend role before the parent role – that can, I, don't, I don't think that Earl Woods necessarily did this, but, mm-hmm. like, it, it can get you into trouble. And ultimately, I think, you know, you don't get to choose who your mentor, mentors are. And so sometimes people are at risk based on what their mentors in their life decide to do. Um, from what I've seen, like, people tend to follow – they almost tend to go ten, down one of two paths. They either follow in the footsteps. Like, if you think of, like, no mentor, no parents, perfect, right? They're all going to have weaknesses and things they do wrong. I think kids tend to either follow follow the, the same footsteps and make the same mistakes, or they tend to see those mistakes and want to do things differently. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like Tiger ended up going down the first path, where he started to replicate a lot of the same mistakes that, um, mm-hmm. that his dad made. I can't tell if that's because that's just what he was going to do all along, or because once he lost his dad, he was struggling to maintain that connection and wanted to feel close to him in some kind of way. It almost seems like, cause he, he started to do the military training mm-hmm. as a way to reconnect with like the memory of his dad. his dad. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like the womanizing stuff seemed to happen until after his dad passed away. I don't know exactly, but yeah. it seemed like that's kind of what sent things into a tailspin. I don't know. Did you get that vibe?
1: Yeah, a little bit. And I think you bring up a good point or two of like, when you're growing up and you start, you, you come to the realization of like your parents are people, right? Of yeah. like they're no longer these God purpose. figures yeah. That, yeah. that you sort of make them up to be and you know, you're like, okay, these are things I really want to or like I really did not like this so I'm going to do the exact opposite but then in by doing so, by doing the exact opposite you end up just doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, and I don't think that that was really carried out for him of, like, given given space to to do that type of stuff, right? Like, there were certainly things about Earl that he probably did not want to replicate, certain things he did. And I think it's just, and I think maybe this is where fame kind of comes into play of, you know, he has to always appear perfect, right? Not just for himself, but, like, his brand and Mm -hmm. his income, his livelihood was dependent on him looking a a certain way. And so when stuff really started to go downhill for him, it was hard for him to manage. And it talks a lot about this, in the documentary too, and just yeah. in general. But that was something that really kind of stood out to me. Um, and the, the connection with like the SEALs, I, I saw it of like looking for, looking for like a relationship with his dad. I also looked at it as like, Maybe that was an opportunity. Like, maybe that was him trying to figure out more of like what he wanted to do for himself that had absolutely
0: nothing to do with golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seemed like maybe you know, golf, like, it lost its, like, intrigue to him at yeah. that point for different reasons. And looking yeah. for
1: something. And it, it talks a lot about, like, adrenaline. And that was a real rush for him in that mm-hmm. sense. So maybe there's a component of that, too. But I, I really mostly saw it of, like, what's a. What's well, a real dramatic sidestep from from golf? Like that has Almost like Jordan to do with, with baseball. Right. They're very similar to that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I need to not do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe that was his, maybe that was one of the first attempts he's ever really had uh, or experiences of like having free choice to do what he wants to do with his life. I mean, I, I know that might sound, that might sound funny because he was like, he, Got tons and tons of money, and I made lots of decisions for himself. But it was always sort of around the issues of golf. So the the military like piece that that's what that kind of felt like of maybe searching for a greater purpose, joining into something that was different, and but also just like how do I leave this all like how do I not be Tiger Woods the golfer? How can I be something completely different?
0: No, you, you that's a great point because I think that's where when it comes to the whole topic of like mental toughness and fame. I mean, I kind of almost like roll my eyes at that because mm-hmm. it's like. I don't know if it's possible to like be mentally tough in the form of fame because I think what you hinted at is that when you're that famous you're no longer making the decisions for your own life. You don't have choice anymore. I think this is where like fans take this completely for granted where they like they totally underestimate what a 180 it does to your life when you're that famous. You don't you no longer have choice about privacy. Mm-mm. People are following you everywhere. You no, no longer have choice about sitting down to dinner out at a place and just being able to relax and not have a million eyes on you because that doesn't happen like mm-hmm. you go out and like people know you everywhere that's like a, i mean i don't want to say that's like a prison but like it it does take like some free will and the ability to have like you know decision making power over your own life in the mm-hmm. context of your life kind of out of your own hands yeah I, that has to weigh on a person and i don't even think that's about mental toughness i think mm-hmm. it's just about are you allowed to be a human or not because i think that's kind of removed like you're not really allowed to do that anymore mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no he had
1: to be he had to be perfect all the time i mean that's 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 a hard standard yeah. uh, an impossible standard to accomplish and him having to accomplish it every day when it's not possible of course that's going to that's going to deteriorate you over yeah. time for yeah. sure
0: yeah no absolutely so i think that's that's definitely where the topic of mental toughness and fame i think is kind of its own its own category and i would imagine um that's something that when it comes to, we try to look at, like, for the life of an a professional athlete versus the non-professional athlete, what kind of stands out. I think people look up to them, like, they must have it all good, whether it's because of the money or the attention. Or, I don't really think, most people, if you had to actually put them in that position, I think that they would see real quick how, I don't want to say miserable, but how, like, difficult and challenging and unfair mm-hmm. that spotlight can be. Um I think all things considered, he, you know, handled it pretty well, given mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And you can tell that he, there's kind of like overlapping cultures and identities, which I think were really hard for him to reconcile. I think mm-hmm. it's, he seemed to struggle with that, whether it's like Tiger as myself or Tiger as Machine, mm-hmm. right? That was one. I think he also had overlapping cultures, right? He he referred to himself as Cobblin Asian, I think. Right? Yeah. He didn't really want to identify as black. and Right. Um, his mother was, uh, where's she from? It was part... Chinese, maybe? I think so. Um, yeah. There's I think there was four different kind of cultures in there in yeah. terms of his ethnic background. And he just wanted to kind of identify with all of them. I don't think he wanted to be the face of black people. And his dad wanted, I think that dad may have wanted that for him. And that kind of overlapped with the golf world, too. Because I think the mm-hmm. golf world was known for being, and probably still is, very, very white. Super white. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that was, I mean, there was so many different types of pressure on him, whether it's like being the best golfer, but also representing all black people. <laughs> right. and trying to change an entire sport for that reason. Right. Um, that's a lot you know? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> Any
1: one of those is a lot. Any
0: one of those is a right. lot. Yeah, absolutely. Any other takeaways that you had about Tiger Woods?
1: No, I mean, you brought up earlier about the the concept of like mentors and we can't always, you know, if we're fortunate enough that we can like actively choose our mentors, that's one thing. Um, but in this case, he wasn't able to. Um, and I kind of talked a little bit about at the very beginning too, about how it's really hard. And especially as a, as a parent, like always wanting what's best for your kids. And that line you talked about, like balancing, you know, how do I push my kid but allow for individuality to sort of like grow, yeah. right? So how do I – like if you joined a team and they're like, well, I really don't want to go and this, is, I don't want to do this. It's nothing I want to do you made a commitment you know i think it's there's no hard line right there's That's no a hard, there's one. no hard yeah, and fast yeah, line it's yeah. you know it's it's it, it will always be sort of like case dependent and it depends on like your own values of like your family and your where that comes up if commitment is a big one then it's like you signed up we're doing this until the end and then you can make another choice it's it sort of it, it varies and i think about the life of tiger having maybe coming up with that you know coming to that crossroads multiple times of like I oh, maybe I don't want to do golf anymore and never being given the opportunity of saying like it's time for me to do something different mm-hmm. and that you know speaks I'm sure with the relationship with his dad after dad was gone you know, wanting to continue because that was dad's legacy and then how that probably contributed to, I don't know. I, again, I'm speculating. I don't want to do too much of that of, you know, if there's shame that goes into that of like, I don't want to do this, but it was so important to my dad. Um, I, I just, honestly, the, the watching the documentary, not just the documentary, but just learning more about his life in general, you, you do get a sense of, um, like empathy for him of like how much he's struggled going, getting to this place. And I think you bring up a really good point and I hear it a lot when I, when I, I use athletes and sports analogies a lot in, in sessions and talk about like, you know, you're not alone. Look at these other people who are in these situations. And almost every single time it's countered with, well, yeah, but they make millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and sh- sure, right? Like, sure. We, we, we talked about it in, a pre, in our last episode how money can sort of contribute to like masking certain things. But it doesn't take anything away. His pain, he's got millions and millions yeah. and millions of yeah. dollars and he's still in enormous amount of pain. So, um, that's kind of the stuff that, because that's the stuff that really humanizes um, and sort of draws a connection between people. So, um, but getting back to like the mentor thing, I think that's why it's so important um, to find people that really push you and motivate you. Um, And if you can have some choice seeking some people, that would be one thing. Um, But for people who don't have that choice, I think it can be really hard because these are, you know, this is obviously, a big example of it of how it can maybe go not so well, um, but obviously this was not the intention of mm-hmm. Earl. Like for this type of stuff mm-hmm. to happen, um, so I think it's a really, I think he's a prime example because he touches on a lot of different a lot of different points here. But the importance of a mentor in somebody's life can be can be life changing, good yeah. or bad.
0: No, absolutely, and I think it's it's uh, it's hard because something sometimes people you know, don't recognize the, the setback or the, the drawbacks of the mentors in their life. Sometimes it's just you're so close to it, you don't see. We use that painting analogy a lot where it's yeah. like if you're not stepping back from the painting and recognizing the impact, uh, especially negative impact, certain people are having on your life, mm-hmm. particularly when you're young and, and especially if you're young because you don't have any choice, yeah. it's hard to, to always make those changes. And I think as you get a little bit older you know, all you can really do is try to look at like, all right, what are the good aspects of these mentors that were in my life that I didn't have any choice about right. that I want to take with me? Right. Uh, what are the, the negative aspects that I want to leave behind or do differently? Mm-hmm. And how do I get connected to people that are good mentors uh, for me in different ways? Because I think who you surround yourself with has a huge impact on, on where your life is going to go. And it doesn't mean like your decisions around mentors or friends has to be transactional. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's good either. I, I, but I think you have to be intentional about understanding like, all right. Do I have these people in my life for the right reasons? Um, are they a good influence on me? Uh, is it a two-way street? Are we both supportive of each other? Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. Um, do they have my best interests in mind? Yeah. That those are important questions to ask, and it's hard to always know the the right answer. But at least if you're asking yourself those questions, and you start to take kind of like you talked about doing like a friend inventory in the past mm-hmm. when it comes to that substance use issue, uh, substance use episode that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important when it comes to this too, right? Not just with substance use, but in general, like. You know, who are the people in my life and, and um, do we have each other's both interests in mind um, and are we looking to support each other I think that ha- that that um, that has an impact when it comes to making decisions on who you're friends with but also right. who your uh, mentors are
1: yeah exactly who celebrates me versus who tolerates me right? yeah like that there's a big there's a big difference and I think you bring up a good point too and I think that when we think about some of this stuff I think it's important to be purposeful about it mm-hmm. like actively going through a friendship inventory and like who's in my life who contributes who Detracts and, and things like that. And I think also the, the other side of that is like just de- building enough self-awareness that when you maybe are making a decision that could be influenced in a negative way, just because you were, gr- you, that was what you were originally taught without knowing the difference that you're able to catch those moments too. Like having enough self-awareness of like those negative things that you don't want to replicate if they've been ingrained in you and you haven't developed a sense of like what those things are. You might just let you might just continue that pattern of moving forward. Um, so, also yes, being purposeful about recognizing who's in my life, what contributes, um, what are the things I want to continue to do, what are things I want to not be doing mm-hmm. anymore, who are the people I don't want to be, you know, in my life. But then also building in when those things play into your life, not if, but when those types of things you get triggered or those types of situations come up. That you teach yourself to pay attention to those things, pause for a second, and make a make a decision on the, this new path versus you know continuously mm-hmm. going down the path of sort of the way that you don't want to go.
0: I'm glad you brought this up because that that one that's that's a great topic and a great point you're making. And two, there's a very fine line that actually relates to Tiger Woods because I think it's it's right. super key to like when you're doing that kind of inventory and you're trying to figure out like all right, what do I want to learn from these people or what do, what changes do I want to make and what people do I want to move past if you just ultimately assess that they're not the right people for you and your life in general, or for where you are in this stage of your life. I think sometimes people change, right? Mm -hmm. And you grow and you evolve and you realize like, I have to put that chapter behind me. I think sometimes that does happen. Um, And you have to be honest with yourself, but when that's necessary, someone like Tiger almost did that, but not in the right way. I think the way he Tiger looks at it is almost like, um, I think he made decisions about the people in his life and sometimes not through his own decision-making. I think his, his mom and dad forced him to, you saw this with like that, that high school girlfriend where he just like, wrote a letter and boom, put that chapter behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fine line I'm trying to describe is like, if you're making uh, choices with some intentionality and some purpose when it comes to the people in your life and, and what you take from them. And, and if you're moving forward and meeting other people, I think that's good. Tiger Woods did it in, a, in a, like an escapism form, right? Like these people c- can't be part of the next chapter for X, Y, Z reason. Um, I'm just going to ghost them and, and just move past and pretend like it never happened. I think for some sometimes, sometimes he almost tried to make decisions with regard to who was allowed in his life as a way to forget the past, as a way to escape, right, from the things that had not gone his way or mistakes he made or things he just couldn't correct. And I think that's different, and I think that's so. I think it's good for people listening to know the difference between just like running away and, and escapism, <laughs> versus making decisions with some intentionality and purpose about like, all right, well, who do I want in my life and why, and, and and what's the need behind that for both sides. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge distinction because yep. you could very easily say like,
1: okay, great, I get to see you later, mm-hmm. and then what's end the, up you're just going to replicate that in your future relationships Correct. if you don't take time to process why you are moving from that relationship or the like be, like you said intentionality of like what you are doing is, there's purpose behind that yeah. not just like i don't want to deal with this anymore so i'm just going to do this yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you're you're end up you're just going to end up finding it in the, in the future relationships anyway and repeating the cycle. Um, right Ooh. here's the same type of person see you later right or you know and it could mean nothing to do with that other person it could be really your own internal things yeah. being played out within could that be. type yep. of person and if yep. you don't take time to do that work you're going to be left unguarded really from that happening in the future.
0: Yeah. And this is where, you know, being really honest with yourself is so key and not being in denial. I think most people, hard to do, you know, weaponize different forms of denial in some way, shape or form. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be a helpful coping mechanism for different things. A lot of times it can be very harmful and can disguise you from actually being honest with yourself. about the changes that you have to make, I think that's, what's hard is that like, you know, a lot of people are in different forms of that type of denial. So I think if you're, Self-aware, if you're self-honest, then you're aware of your own role in things. Mm And so that's the thing to look at is like when you're moving on from people, you decide that's the right reason for whatever, you know, one or many reasons. You also have to look in the mirror and say like, what was my role in this? Right. And is there something I need to learn from that? Uh, It doesn't mean you have to necessarily go to that person and, uh, you know, rectify that or fix it and try to keep them in your life when you feel like that's not the right decision. Mm -hmm. But you at least have to be honest with yourself about your role in things. And then see like, okay, maybe I decide I still have to move on from these people and, and find other mentors or find other friends or that kind of thing. And I have to still make changes for myself yeah um, because I was part of that or that kind of thing. And maybe you're not. I mean, some people are and some people, it is one-sided and they're mm-hmm. just toxic people you got to get out of your life. Yeah. It's never one size fits all or that kind of thing. But yeah. No. So I think that's it for any other takeaways about Tiger Woods? No. Okay. Um, so I think that's it for today. Yeah. Um, just encourage everyone to subscribe on YouTube if they can. We got to over 100, but we're looking to keep that going and we got our custom URL, so it makes it easier to send that out instead of like having 29 concepts (laughs) uh, in every copy-paste link. Um, All the helpful information uh, and and links from today's episode, uh, there weren't that many, but we can put those on our website at GrimDrive.com and in the show notes as well. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Drive podcast for this discussion about Tiger Woods. We'll be back next week to talk about a quick recap of episodes 11. I'm